It seems that everyone is talking about AI at the moment and platforms like ChatGPT have put artificial intelligence into the hands of all of us. This can in turn be both great and disastrous as it really takes a subject matter expert to know whether what the bot can tell us in a matter of seconds is true or not. And it really takes the data scientists to know whether we're even asking the right questions in the first place. How will the rapid advancements in AI change the way we understand and interact with the property market? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Awards. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional. Today, we're joined by Luke Metcalf, an entrepreneur and data scientist. Luke is well known in the area of forecasting location analytics with a recent focus on the real estate market. He began his career with a degree in computer science and quickly made a name for himself through Nation Master, an international statistics website that drew in 10 million unique visitors monthly. And leveraging the success of that, he founded Microburbs, an Australian data company best known for hyper-local livability guides and public housing data. Great website if you've never played around with it. Now, this innovative platform delivers in-depth neighbourhood-specific information, revolutionising decision-making processes of buyers, agents and investors, and known for his unique blend of first principles thinking and AI-driven analytics, Luke has been successful in synthesising data from diverse sources to uncover critical insights. Now, we last spoke with Luke way back in episode 16, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. And thank you so much for joining us today, Luke. I, I, uh, I'm very happy to be here. Can I tell you, actually, you just read what GPT said. <laughs> so you asked for a bio. I, I edited it a little bit, but, uh, it, it went a little bit too far saying I was Australian born as if like I'm an international superstar. I had to take a couple of things out, but otherwise I was like, yeah, that works. And you know, what's funny. Cause I very rarely read them out verbatim. There was a little, few little tiny tweaks in there, but I basically read the whole thing out, which I very rarely do. So go chat GPT. That's all I can say. Sometimes it's awesome. Well, let's stay on this. Uh, let's stay on this trend, I guess, with AI and um, property data in particular. Um, how do you think? I mean, back in episode sixteen, that, that was a long time ago, Veronica. That's over five years ago. Um, and you know, I remember somebody on your website, even uh, many years before that. I think it was. I was just blown away with how you were looking at things. Not so much at the you know just very basic level. This is the median price, but all these other factors that go into making a place livable and um, desirable and livability and just, and I actually went on your website recently and saw that it was a whole new, many different data points, et cetera. So you can get blown away with data. I guess, how, what's in your view? How's the best way that we can harness all this data to actually get some meaningful insights that when we're looking at, I guess, investing or buying or buying a home in the property market, we're actually making better decisions rather than just overflowing a busy mind already. Yeah, excellent question. And by the way, thank you very much for having me here. I this is uh, I'm in as you said I I'm in great company being here. So uh, and this is by far the best real estate podcast. I love you guys straight talking. So I don't even know who's who's second. Like this this you guys are just number one. Uh, so uh, great question. So I guess back in it was about 2016, five years ago. Uh, then. Uh, AI was quite different to today. So I think it's worth just talking about how it's progressed. So back in the day, it was a bit more like maths as you would recognize it. So it was more like closer to most things were like, just um, get a formula. It might be a complex formula and hard to read, but it was like boiling it down. So if you imagine like um, to oversimplify, you might say that the uh, base price for a suburb is 600 grand and then it's 200 grand per bedroom or something like that, right? It would never be that simple, but that's just to illustrate uh, how a simple valuation model might work. Yeah. Um, so back in the day, it would take in lots of different factors. And I've always been about getting a very large number of uh, features that what they're called, like columns, uh, data points 
to uh, give the AI as much context as possible. But what we've seen um, since last time is that AI takes in way more information and can understand it in a much more subtle way, in a much more nuanced way, more of a vibe. So you can go into ChatGPT and ask it a question that is like, not strictly how a literal person would answer it. It can get the vibe of what you're saying and answer it. So ChatGPT and all of these large language models, there's heaps of them, obviously ChatGPT gets all the attention, but uh, um, what they're doing is just trying to predict the next word over and over again. So it's this incredible, so in the same way that you have an, an AVM, CoreLogic, um, and us to a lesser degree, we come up with, uh, we're trying to predict the price if it sells, they're just trying to work out what the next word is. Now, of course, it's a bit more complex in a sense because there's so many words to choose from. And so it's it's got all behind the scenes, It, in one way of thinking of it is it just has a whole lot of percentage chances of each word coming up. But uh, what's actually, um, um, yeah, so you can't go to the CEO of um, OpenAI who produces ChatGPT and say, what's your formula for coming up with uh, the next word? What are, what are the five things you need to know to, to work out the next word, yeah? In the same way that all of us real estate people get asked this, you know? What, what are your five things? It's just way too complicated. Um, there's way too much. They themselves don't know exactly how it works. So yeah, I would imagine a lot of this conversation will be about like, what do you do when computers are starting to get the vibe? They're not perfect by any means. And I'm of the view that there's plenty of room for humans, including buyers agents and sellers agents and mortgage brokers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so how does it affect the real estate industry is a, a big thing. I think, uh, obviously I guess people's first thought is, um, this thing's going to might take my job. I don't want to know about it. Um, it's scary. There's a lot of pushback. Um, but the reality is that if you're a sort of a generalist, which I think a lot of buyers, good buyers agents like yourself and good mortgage brokers, where you're, if you're seeing the whole picture, uh, then uh, you're the kind of job that's safe. Even if it might mean that your job changes a little bit, uh, the fact that you've got so many things that you can do, you can negotiate, you can sell, you can create an engaging podcast, um, all, all of these things mean that if one of those things gets uh, really done better by AI, like maybe the title for this podcast is best, best done by an AI because it can try out a hundred different titles, yeah? Um, or maybe it just you have a conversation with it and it tells you which is the best title to use, yeah? But uh, so th those kind of roles, I think, are much safer than, say, someone who is like a translator, yeah? So if they've just got a very set task and they're just brilliant at going between English and French, uh, they're in a lot of trouble. I, I studied law. I'm Thankfully, I didn't go into law because even years and years ago, that a whole lot of paralegals lost their jobs from major law firms because the act of scanning through very large amounts of email suddenly got um, doable by an earlier kind of the same model as what you see with um, GPT, but it's like it can scan for the meaning to find. Instead of back in the day, they would uh, search for keywords and then have to read it manually. So a whole lot of people in law lost their jobs. So being a one-trick pony is not a great thing in general, uh, but I think uh, uh, good real estate industry professionals, particularly ones that have been in the industry for a long time, they've got a fantastic ability to adapt and grow and um, in a lot of ways give themselves a promotion. So for, for us in, in microburbs, uh, our big thing is going to be, at the moment, it's a big data dump. There's loads of stuff. Um, so smart buyers agents are picking out the things. We, we try to present it as well as we could. Um, there's fantastic indicators in there, but the next step is to create beautiful um, custom uh, PDF reports for you guys. So uh, it's, it saves a lot of the legwork in having to go in and look up a whole lot of government documents, and it will be relevant to the actual uh, per the clients. So uh, and my vision personally, and I'm, I'm putting my money down on this, so I've invested, I'm not building a chatbot to replace anybody. Um, I, yeah, my big thing is uh, it's going to be much more um, a helper that will be able to do a lot of the legwork. Uh, another thought I had was that obviously all real estate industry professionals, they don't, their customers tend to not want to pay them per hour. 
bucks, yeah? So that leads to a problem that they you negotiate a fixed price, um, uh, maybe it's a percentage, 20 grand or whatever, and you can't just keep on serving them forever. And real estate is a very uh, stressful business So for the, um, the buyer and, and seller. So I can imagine that there will be something like a chatbot talking to them at 3 a.m. when they can't sleep. And uh, that context will come back to you. Uh, so that you're, and all these little questions that you don't want to deal like obviously at some point they have to actually make a decision and, and buy the property. So yeah, the, the reports that we're building are also very much about uh, give people the confidence, give them the information they need to get them to that next step. So you're suggesting, because I mean, I haven't actually checked out the most recent iteration of microburbs, I confess. The old version, we had the sort of 10 metrics that, and that your computer had found for you um, in terms of the important things, factors in, in a location, correct? Uh, I love the hipster score, for example. Um, and I remember back in episode 16, a few things really stood out in my mind. I remember the revelation that tranquil, so the tranquility score, was inversely uh, related to capital growth. I thought that was really interesting because everyone just thinks quiet location. We're not talking main roads are good for capital growth. What we're talking about is areas without lots of amenity, right? But also, so you know, you set me off because back then, this five years ago, and, and I was in this quest to try to work out the secret to long-term capital growth, which um, at that time, nobody was willing to commit to, to say, I can say that these things will point to anything working for more than two years. Before you say anything, I would add, so I've since learned that uh, beautiful natural settings can lead can have very large capital growth. Ah, so see, it's there's a there's a whole lot of whole lot of nuance to, to all of these things, right? Which is precisely where I'm going with this question because what I want to know is what's changed, what have you learned since? And the other thing that just a bit of a confession here that while I was in this process trying to work all this stuff out and I was doing my all my research and learning from people like you, and you said zoning's the number one the number one um, impact on capital growth. And I was like, right, that's it. We've got to go out there and look for all the areas where the zoning is like me and everybody else. It's like, you know, I was so far behind the, and it's like, yeah, I mean, you didn't actually need AI to work that out in reality. Um, I was thinking that's just brilliant. But the, the simple fact is that what I've since learned is China hotspot is just a mugs game. If you're going to invest in property, you got one shot at it. You, you, you know, trying to, to gamble and pick the next, the next place is, is really fallacy because there's other ways to to bet your money safer, right? Or to invest your money safer. So leading to that question, which you've just alluded to, is you're going to give us lots of answers. What have you learned? What has AI been able to um, change your opinions in that intervening time? Like what have you learned was necessarily ill-formed or or and and potentially still ill-formed, you know, if, if with the uh, accelerations and um, progressions in this area? Yeah, so a big thing is a big thing is when you get more longitudinal data. So I have data going back way further. So a big problem with real estate is like other markets, like the stock market, it has phases. So if you base your decisions on a short period, so for example, during COVID, you might say that regional Australia is awesome. Uh, I found the models have found that the late 90s are a particularly unusual time. So I, there's this fun. Um, uh, graph I have, which is correlation of postcode to capital growth. And it's like this sine wave. Yeah. So it's like, if you picked a particular period, like, um, four to six years and you would, you'd think that you would know, and very often the model will just go for postcode. Um, it'll just like, if you feed it everything, it'll say, oh yeah, it's just this area here, but then that might not be the case further on. So are you saying then that basically every postcode will at some point experience the same, same period of growth? Is that what you're no. saying? No, what I'm saying is that the correlation to postcode and capital growth. So I should mention, by the way, when I'm talking about capital growth, it's always relative to the national average. Yeah. So I'm not a macro guy. So I'm, I don't have a view on like, I don't know what's going to happen in the war of Ukraine or um, the Chinese shadow banking market. So my focus is very much on uh, how does it compare to uh, the rest of the country. So the relativity of it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Luke, I mean, I guess everything fast forward, right? Like AI is meant to know you better, right? Like it's meant to know what your what you like, what your preferences are, what is you know, it's kind of almost predictive 
of what you want in the future, right? I think that's like the more that 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 AI knows about you, the more should be able to read of what's the best next thing for you, right? I mean, that's is that sort of the direction we're going in as a human? So, like, like they basically saying the next thing you need to do is drink water or eat this food. Like, it starts to almost like to predict your life. What's the next best move? Do you see that um, it could also become that knowledgeable around what drives prices, right? And it almost could have like a property score, right? Like, so this property is a 99 out of 100 or a 72 out of 100. And, or it also, um, and then to a point where a property comes on the market and it says, look, don't even look at that property because it doesn't tick what you're looking for, right? It's, you know, all the, and because you're telling me you're a family, you want to be walking to the school and all your preferences. So this is a, 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 you know, a 60% match to what you want, but all, a property comes on, it's a 99% match to what you're looking for. But then it could be overlaid with, it's actually a 99 type of property for capital growth. Like do you, because it looks at traffic, it looks at amenity, it looks at the location. Do you think we're going to go to this level where each individual's preferences are going to be like loaded in and we're almost going to be delivered properties that are like matching to what we want. And then properties are going to be matched to you know capital growth drivers so we're going to have enough data to know actually this property is a bit of a dud it's traded three times in the last 10 years it's always underperformed growth it's on a rat run it's got aspect issues are we getting to this level of data where not do we have to go and find it but almost that it's kind of finds us the 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 solution personalization of data finding the right property that's one thing and then there's also uh, is the individual property right for anyone? It might be a dud property that won't give uh, capital growth. Uh, so yeah, there's big tech companies, obviously, not me, but big tech companies are gathering a, a huge amount of data on people. And so they could be employing that in the same way that you have internet advertising where uh, you, know, you go look for something and then uh, it shows up as uh, something you should go buy a fridge. It thinks that you want a fridge. So I definitely see that is possible. I think it comes down to a great degree on how we regulate privacy and what people are prepared to accept. So it may be that there is a September 11 of privacy, for example, a big dump and people get shocked and they push back and they say, no, 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 I, I want to control everything myself. So one, one model is that the individual on your computer, you hold your own, all your data and you give it to people when you want or even the decision gets made on your own uh, computer. So that's uh, called federated machine learning. Uh, so yes, th there's definitely the ability to uh, take data and personalize uh, based on others. But having said that, I think there's a lot about the human interaction. So we know that it gives you joy to interact with other people. So I, I don't think that it's a simple matter of uh, the AI simply handing you a property. I think people will want to talk to someone about the problem, about it, and have, have them, give them confidence. I mean, the mere fact that so a, a investor will pay, if I'm lucky, they'll pay me $100, well, they'll pay you guys 20 grand. That speaks to um, how much value they will often perceive in a buyer's agent. And obviously, there are more buyer's agents coming on the market. Um, so there's more of them at the moment. You might have expected less. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and then in terms of the property, uh, finding a dud property. Yeah, absolutely. So over time, there will be more, uh, there's ever more data that comes on. You see different data sources coming online, both for, in terms of government data uh, and um, what's out there in general listings and things. So uh, that does give ever more predictive ability. But what's happening now with the generative AI revolution is increasingly, you there's a democratization of access to data. So instead of you have like a, the a Boffin data scientist with his tools, like me writing code, and then you have someone who's out in the field, who's been in the industry for a very long time, who knows um, how people react and uh, has uh, seen it all. So there's increasingly there's the ability for you guys to directly talk to an AI um, in English and uh, get, and also, being sophisticated, you'll be able to ask sophisticated questions um, of that. So let's get into the questions, actually, because equally, yes, you're right. Um, someone with lots of experience can harness 
all of their experience and then and augment that if you like with with AI. Um, certainly in the property space, there's there's a marriage of data and local smarts. You know, so data will get you so far, but individuals make a decision on an individual property, and you can't work with aggregated data to make that decision, right? You need to to bring in to play other uh, elements there. But equally, someone without that experience, someone without all of that knowledge can then, for the democratization of data, get access to data, but not actually know what to do with it or what to wait and what to actually pay attention to. And equally, the experienced person could be biased as well and not be paying attention to things they should be paying attention to. So I guess these are some of the problems, though, with this easy access to data, and then back, and that feeds back into knowing what questions to ask, right? So, you, I mean, AI, ChatGPT lies very convincingly. Yeah. So, a really big question of AI is, what's your target variable? Yeah. What are you aiming for? Yeah. So, if you're aiming for capital growth, that's a pretty good one. But we see other AIs that we're already so we're already in a very much an AI era. So, probably people who see this podcast. It's because AI has recommended to them, whether it be this particular episode coming up on YouTube, uh, or is it um, the podcast in general? They, they there's some uh, clip they discovered from the recommendation engine. So those models are optimized for attention, and uh, these attention-based models, and you could have other models like advertising models that are optimized for you parting with your cash. Yeah, so it, it can be. Um, you've, I think it's really good to. It's not in the debate enough to ask what are you trying to optimize for. So increasingly, it's it becomes opaque how it's choosing. So what are your goals? You know, um, I, I think regulators need to move to that. So like, what are you trying to predict here? However you do it, it's going to be very complicated. It's hard to write legislation for it. Uh, so uh, yeah, absolutely. So and a big way. Uh, so as, as if the actual target is something that is good for the person, whether it be yields, capital growth. Uh, I'm, I'm personally very passionate about happiness as well. So if that can become a, a target, then that's great. Uh, but there is a potential for it to be optimized for other things. It is also true of the real estate industry. So you can be a sales-oriented person who is optimizing for short-term revenue, dare I say. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it, thinking of things in that way is more helpful than, uh, and in that way also, there's a lot of, I'd love to see there more, like if we have the same metrics, um, AI and humans, then that would be useful. Yeah. So like, uh, if you have, um, so you can ask a data scientist, uh, what is the, um, R squared? So that's like, or, or more simply correlation. Yeah. So that's like, What's the percent of the difference between some variable that you have? And then you can go, aha, you don't have this other bit. And I help with a lot of this other bit. So just on that happiness part, is there anything in your reason or your data points where you can relate that to prices? Like are, are people in more expensive suburbs any happier than people that live in cheaper suburbs, for example? Is there Or leafy suburbs. Or, or yeah, or suburbs surrounded by water or closer to the city or further away or you know is is there is there a way to measure this sort of thing i yeah i won't uh so i've got a whole lot this big research i'm working on at the moment and there's like there are many pieces to the puzzle and i'm sure there'll be revisions on things that i said five years ago um so i uh, i haven't fully pieced it together yet like there's so many um things that i want to control for and uh, so I won't have all the answers that I, of things I've studied today. I'd love to do a follow-up podcast if I'm invited back. Uh, one thing that is interesting, though, if you look at the um, census, you ask for anxiety. They ask for anxiety in the last census, and what you'll see if you go to under microburbs, uh, you'll you'll see for Sydney um, there is this huge blob around Marrickville. I'm I sorry to say, Veronica. So the inner west not is a rather anxious place. Do you know it's, that, it's, a, it's very on. distinct. There was a there was a um a show I think it was on SBS with Dr. Tim Sharp who we interviewed some years ago. Oh yes, is Dr. Happiness or whatever a Dr. Happy? And that was set in Marrickville for that very reason. So this is not a recent phenomena. Yes. Do you, do you yes, know so why? This... Did the did the bot tell you why? 
Um, I yeah. So there is research on this internationally. Um, so uh, yeah, it gets into politics. I don't know if if we want to go there, but uh, we might as well. Yeah. Isn't that where Albo lives? <laughs> Our prime oh, minister. I'm, well, I'm hope. <laughs> Talking I, I, about I, politics. I think a certain level of anxiety is a good thing. Like you want to be as a prime minister, you want to be like uh, um, not completely taking it easy. I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions. And you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my buyer's agent mentoring program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or lower north shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. If you're thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. But do you reckon, look, I've just, are you able to get access to like, I don't know, um, like Google Maps data, right? Like that's amazing data. You'd know where people are driving and, and, you know, is there any data sources that you think that, you know, we aren't factoring into our property decisions that if we did get access to it, we would change our view on, you know, how we invest or, or you know, because rat runs are something that, you know, you, you only really figure it out years after living somewhere, to be honest. Like it's not even initially, you, you just, you start to find, oh, actually, you know, well, this is a bit of a cut through, right? I don't actually know people took this road, you know? Um, so is there data that you wish you could get access to that you don't, um, that you think is really crucial? Uh, there's certainly, yeah, amenity data is definitely useful. Uh, it's definitely interesting. So proximity from different things. So uh, I think I mentioned lifestyle score last time was um, predicted subsequent growth. Uh, so, and that was like proximity to a whole lot of things that are useful for mainstream people, RSL clubs and shops and things like that. Uh, so yeah, amenity for, from my point of view, it's all useful. So I, I, I'm building a general AI and, uh, I'm much more interested in its ability to help people out and, uh, do the, the do the legwork and democratize, um, this kind of analytics than, uh, always being the ex expert on every little subject. I mean, here's an important point. So, right. So there's like, there's lots of researchers that do um, research on very specific things, right. And they they write papers and they consider, and then you have someone like me who's just comes in and goes like, what's a leading indicator. Yeah. So it's like this thing happens and then that thing happens. Causation is a harder question to answer. Yeah. Right? So there's, so there's like, there's like a data point, a story, and then there's like, um, many data points somewhere in there it's uh, the uh, expert professional and then there's like a leading indicator and then there's like a reliable leading indicator and then that that causation piece is the the ultimate one it's actually quite hard to prove causation and very often from the point of view of real estate you might be like look as long as it's a reliable leading indicator let's keep moving have you done any work on incomes relative to growth because we had a recent guest on that said that there was no correlation. Uh, we haven't tested the I saw data that search. Yeah, okay. So we haven't we haven't tested we we weren't equipped with any data on that to be able to sort of further that discussion other than what, you know, our brains tell us. But, you know, what are you what are your thoughts on that? I've definitely looked into it. Um, but I I'm not going to say today. <laughs> so is it work in progress? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it is. When I will definitely yeah. Yeah, so uh, Jeremy and I will definitely have things to say about this. Um, so yes, I mean, very often what happens is one person says, oh, go for low income. Another person says, go for high income. Another person says it doesn't correlate. Uh, very often it's nuanced, yeah? So uh, is it one question is, are incomes going up? Is it good to have low income, but things are getting better? Maybe that's more important. Uh, maybe it's not so good if incomes are going up because it's a mining town. One thing I can tell you is mining sucks. Don't go mining. No. And this is all back to the question though, isn't it? So this is about, you know, we're always about the nuance on this on this program. And and 
you know, you're a data scientist, you're selling data, you're selling information. That's your product, right? Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, reports, reports <laughs> yeah. I would say increasingly. Yeah. So, but it's information. It's, um, that's, that's, you're pitching that, right? Where I have an issue is with people that are pitching their particular property, um, magic pill or their silver bullet and they're pitching, they've got their particular pitch and they, they cherry pick data to support, you know, whatever their marketing pitch is. And, and that's something that we do take to task on this podcast, but we, we're curious. We want to understand where people get their information from and why they're using it in a certain way. And you just, you know, you're just the information guy. So that's why we're just like quizzing you. Yeah. So I reckon our next podcast, if you'll have me on again, will be awesome. We'll run through the stuff. Oh, graphs. I love that promise. God, talk about, you know, big fat carrot. <laughs> if, if it, yeah, I mean, this one, yeah, I, okay. for all I know, this one hits the cutting room floor. I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, no. The, this is the, this is this particular podcast. I know you're working on something. And so, you know, this is maybe slightly preemptive. However, you know, you've been in this game a long time. You're not a newcomer to the property space. Um, you are a different thinker, you know, that you're a bit contrarian in your own ways, right? So, and, and you're curious and, and, um, and you're also an expert in your field. So that's why we're talking to you because we know this is a changing landscape. We know it's changed a lot since we last spoke to you. We know that you're working on a project. We will get you back. We want to find out more about that. But I'm really keen to know in the intervening five years between then and now, what, what, what is, what are you having to admit you got wrong, you know? <laughs> um yeah i don't remember exactly what i said in that podcast <laughs> no i mean you know you must know the iteration of i reckon your... that would be that would be great content to yeah. say look uh this is what i got right this is what i got wrong i based it on so obviously the more longitudinal and the more data you have so if it covers i'm very much focused on cover the whole country go back as many years as possible so the old microburbs was one point in time i did have some longitudinal data in the background but uh now it's much more like, okay, can we rely on this? So I, the ideal is, what can you rely on in every market? So that's like, what's, what's a universal? On that though, because there are some universals Australia-wide, some universals that might be, say, capital city you know, uh, applicable, some of them might be regional applicable, some that are suburb applicable. I mean, what is a universal, I guess? Because a lot of people think that they can apply the same sort of, the same metrics to every market and you can't. Because what's valued in one market is totally different to what's valued in another one. So yeah, so I will build a model that predicts overall, and then I will ask, what, uh, where does it work and where does it doesn't? Where does it not work? And then you might say, oh, okay, if it doesn't work there, that's weird. I would have expected it to. Or maybe this model applies for this market and not for that market. Luke, I was just wondering if you've um, so what I mean what. I guess looking at suburb data is great because you get this macro view of what a suburb exists right now, right? But what a suburb exists of, the people who live in a suburb, doesn't really matter per se. What matters to, in my mind is who's moving to the suburb right now because property is basically is a marginal buyer, right? It's the price of something is not what everyone in a suburb wants today. It's what who's buying in that market today, what they can afford and what they, what's their situation, what's their income, what's their... And so that's really stuff you want to be reading, right? You want to be reading like, like who's, this is what gentrification is and this is what changes and this is what changes prices, right? Because if the same people were earning the same amount as the same people 10 years ago, they'd have the same means. And so prices couldn't go up. And so what you, I mean, my view is the data you really want to know is like, it's kind of like search data, right? Like, so REA search data, who's looking in this suburb this year versus last year? Like, what do they do? Is like, are their incomes higher? Are their qualifications higher? Like, you know, have they got other assets, et cetera? And is there any way to sort of get that real data that is the people who are transacting and how that is shifting over time? It's like almost like you could look at a suburb at a whole level and say, I don't know, 30% are earning over a certain income, right? And that in, that could go from 30 to 32%, which doesn't look like a big improvement. But if that's the 2% that basically bought into the suburb, that it is, and it's actually as a as a whole, it's actually quite high. So, how do we get that type of data that is the people that are actually transacting today, and how that is different to what it was in the past? Is there any way in your mind that you can you can get that? Yeah, so that's something that real estate professionals obviously see um, firsthand, and it's something that 
Uh, so domain and realestate.com.au, obviously they are seeing who is coming through. They might know more about people than that. So they do represent, like they may represent a threat to the industry in that. I'm not, not an expert. I don't know what their plans are. But uh, obviously, conceivably, uh, if I was them and my goal was uh, was I was following your line of thought of who's buying in, then that would make sense. Where where is the market? Obviously, there are metrics, online search interest that are already out there. Uh, so uh, obviously, the bigger one is who's likely to be there later. Yeah. So where are people going to be? And I've worked with data sets before outside the real estate industry where you have lists of where people have lived. So working in insurance, for example, right? So you can actually predict, uh, okay, they're living in um, Newtown, a two-bedroom terrace in Newtown now. They're going to need, they've got kids, they're going to have to move to Marrickville or um, somewhere. So you could actually, this is what's called an agent simulation. So this is where you actually are trying to predict for every single person in the country as a very sophisticated kind of model if you can get it right. So if you can build it on a low level and then aggregate that up, then uh, that can so you can have certainty on the, if you can get certainty so what i'm always trying to get is like more data yeah so more rows more columns so that i can be more sure that's my approach it's a different approach to you'll say like it's logical that people who earn more they can pay more um so you're you'll be interested in that um and you know it, it makes sense and you've you've seen it in your own uh experience so yeah it, it's a it's a different kind of approach and at the end of the day we should hopefully be able to uh, agree on these things and know what it is. We'll all, and uh, it won't be so much of a debate, and that will give that will give investors a lot of certainty. I think too. I mean, back to says my big bugbear is that we make individual decisions, and yet there's you know there's eleven million properties in this country. If I got that figure right, um, we only buy one at a time generally. Um, and also even just Chris talking there about, you know, is it possible to, to work out where those movements are, you know, where, the, where are the suburbs with the, the greatest degree of movement of people with increased incomes moving into the middle of the rest of it. And that's in a little, in a sort of way, it's sort of grabbing and understanding what's happening as it happens, as opposed to waiting for the lag indicators, right? And it's also a bit predictive, right? But it's also a bit hotspotting-y. It's also a bit potentially short-termism in the sense that it's happening now or it's about to happen um, and I want to buy there. Isn't there more value in working out where the underlying um, elements that are in place are really solid and it's just going to continue performing well? So the places that necessarily aren't changing um, but are just solid performers and, and there's no, there's nothing on the horizon that, that suggests that they're going to change in any way. Isn't that more valuable? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different ways to make money, Ronika. Um, I, I know, I know of more than one. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to tell you zero in this podcast. I'm not. It's, I'm not asking you for that. I'm just saying, talking about the types of way that we could use data and look at data. But unfortunately, in the property space, there is a lot of short-termism in terms of um, promotion of services, in terms of promotion of value adds for buyers agents, right through to spruikers, right through to you know. I don't know, my, maybe mortgage brokers even. Um, so, and it's unfortunate because it is a long-term hold asset. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm a fan of the long-term hold. I'm a long fan. I'm a fan of buying A-grade assets and and fewer of them. Right. That's you know, I'm unashamed of that. Yes, people can make money doing it other ways, but I just find that they're more risky. And so that's for me. I don't. I like to avoid risk. When it comes to using data and looking at data to to plot out and make decisions around property. You know, some people are going to get all excited about, you know, the, the, the stuff that points arrows towards what's next to take off and where they're going to make money where others haven't. Um, and people like me are going to look for places that are like, great, if I buy there, I'm, it's, it's less risky and more of a safe bet than if I go out trying to work out which is the one place that's going to, to make me rich, right? Is there a market for the boring data? Is there, you know, are people interested in that or is there much more of a market for the shiny stuff? I can tell you I'm interested in all of it. So I'm interested in I'm interested in make money when you buy from an individual property. I'm interested in short term, like what is the what are the short term opportunities? Um are there very long term opportunities? Uh you know, should you hold on to a property the whole time? Like yeah, I'm very um 
I like to think I'm very rigorous about it. So I don't have any skin in the game. I'm an entrepreneur. So when I get money, I put it into my businesses. I don't even own investment property. Uh, so uh, that's why yeah, we're asking I, you I these think... questions because, you know, you don't have skin in the game. This is why it's, it, I find what you, you know, your take on this really interesting. Mm. Yeah, I would very, yeah, love to give it next time. So, Luke, on um, the, okay, so let's just move on to, I guess, a different way that data could be used, right? So, you know, you mentioned zoning. Um, so there's a company called Archie Star. So I don't, we had them to come on the podcast, actually. We, I don't think we've rebooked them, but um, it's a very interesting business. So what they can do is they can um, overlay uh, suburbs and then basically do feasibility suburbs on development potential, right? Current land, what they could build on it with zoning. Um, and then you could basically predict how a city could expand, right? Like, and you could say, look, yeah, and then you could overlay it with sort of transport and, um, you know, things like the metro and, you know, and, and then you could basically envisage how a suburb could change. So if city's population went from five to 10 million, where would we fit that extra 5 million people, right? Like, and, you know, is there sort of data on along those sort of lines? Like, you know, cause you've got a lot of development applications and, you know, is there some type of way of predicting how suburbs are going to shift over time based on their their zoning and absolutely you know, yeah yeah you definitely yeah. can uh, so development applications we have that so we we the new dwellings um, we track that over time going back many many years uh, so yes we're very interested in the, these supply indicators uh, population projections we have those as well uh, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, primarily Microburst is about giving people the data so they can make their own decisions about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, infrastructure is a tricky one from a data point of view because it's like, when do you count it? When, what's the date that you put in? So it's like people are talking, someone has the good idea, then someone prominent has the good idea, uh, and then it is, um, you know, it, it's discussed and people are saying it's going to happen. And then someone announces it, then there's an election, and then there's a new government in. So it's actually not a simple thing to work out from an empirical point of view to work out. Because um, obviously at any point in that, people could act on the information. And the other problem is that infrastructure often accompanies supply. So uh, you really have to take supply into account. And sometimes it may be that there's more supply, say for example, a, a shiny new metro. Um, they, that may, there may be, uh, uh, it might be more of an opportunity to put units in than it is to get people into the city. On that sort of same line of thought, I mean, we chatted to you pre-COVID, right? And, you know, I guess these, uh, COVID happened, right? And that changed, obviously, hybrid work, work from home, it changed the regions, et cetera. Um, so there's these, like, you know, um, black swan events, right, where, you know, we're not thinking, because the longitudinal data actually says this is what's happened over the longer term but if one of these black swan events happened where we all worked from home or i don't really know there's that's what black swan events are hard to predict these things they're hard to know what they could be but they you know you could come up with some right and is there some type of way of putting that into your data and and saying look if if one of something like this happened if if a population went at three percent annual versus two percent you know or population was one percent because you had a change of policy that could have a huge impact right um so is there some things like that that you can overlay in your data set or have you thought of doing things like that? Yeah. So those really long-term things, long-term economic cycles are harder to model. So there is an incentive on people like me. If I can find a short-term model, it's better. So if you could trade, if you could buy and sell within it one market, then that would be better. Or anyone who, who is like um, using the kinds of data that I do to do that. Uh, so yeah, no one knows a meteorite might hit the earth tomorrow. Uh, there might become a super intelligence where, um, AI takes over and it'll be something like the Christian rapture where except everyone is going to hell or everyone's going to heaven. We don't know which it'd be great to know. So yes, I, I don't have, yeah, it's definitely outside my, uh, knowledge. It's great that people are worried about all kinds of different, um, issues like, uh, climate change and AGI, obviously you need to, but, uh, from a, um, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not a spreadsheet modeler. So I don't. I don't have like. So I'm. Not, I'm not like I'm one of these guys that has like the three yellow boxes, and it's like, oh, this one seems about right, and we'll project that forward, and look, everything's 
going to be this could be a kilometer higher sea levels in a hundred years or something. I yeah, I don't I don't do that kind of modeling. So and it is obviously I think there's a lot of brilliant people who do that, but it is also very hard to do, obviously. I like to do I like to do easy stuff. But getting access to that data is quite interesting, right? So like, you know, climate change is a goal. We've we've asked multiple people to come on and we've had multiple people already, but there's some big ones that I've asked to come on and um and you know that that'd be something to easily you know in put into microbirds, right? Like, what if if we do see a rise in sea level? How would that affect price? If we did see an increase in rainfall, if we did see a increase in heat, um, and you know that someone's making a 30, 40 year property decision, they could say, "Look, oh, that's great, but maybe I shouldn't buy this waterfront in Collaroy, you know, like um, and you know, or this place in where there's very little tree cover, or this place that's known to infrequently flood." Um, so. Yep, we have landslide risk. I think we have uh, um, flooding. Uh, we have energy efficiency. So we're we're very much about provide whatever data we can that uh, will empower uh, people to make decisions. We're absolutely put it out there. So it's one thing I can make data to build these models, but these models are going to feed back into just indicators for uh, humans to use. I mean, you mentioned earlier that obviously it, it's easier if people transact within a, a market, um, the same market conditions, right? So in, if it's one rising market in that time or if it's a falling market in that time, but not if they transact in one of the market and then move into another. Uh, my observation post-COVID is that our markets seem to be increasingly volatile you know, we're that massive um, gains of 2021, massive losses in 2022, and now we're midway through 2023, and we're looking at gains again. I, I in my 20 odd years in property, I've never seen this sort of zigzagging um, of of market behaviour of, of prices, which is the end game, right? The end result of market behaviour. Are you? Do you have anything to add to the to to, you, to Have you been observing that that there's been a, a a shortening of cycles and and any sort of theories as to why that might be. COVID was a very distinct period, so that was obviously very a very strange period. Um, and yeah, so I've seen a bit of a reversion in terms of market dynamics since then, like drivers of things. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think broadly, so speaking outside my analysis here, it's just like I think broadly uh, the world is speeding up. So technological change is increasing. Uh, you're having uh, le less certainty than you did in the 1990s. Uh, you know, we, we're living in a unipolar world uh, dominated by the United States, and now we've got geopolitical competition. We have shorter attention spans, and uh, identity is more fluid as well, I would say. So I remember being a teenager in the 90s, you know, you're a raver or a goth, and you would just stick to that at least for six months or 12 months. But it seems these days, it's like, it's just a meme and you're about invested in that. I've heard about these like Visco girls. There's a, I'm trying to get subcultures out of my 13-year-old daughter and just say, Visco girls, they're girls that go and say, save the turtles. And that's about it. That's a subculture. <laughs> Maybe there's more to it than that. That's right. Yeah. So people have a lot more, I guess people have a lot more at their fingertips now. So back in the day, you might, if you're a raver, you go get 3D World and you'll have all these um, dance records and that's that's you. you. You have those clothes, whereas now you got fast fashion. So, uh, yeah, I, I do wonder about, maybe you guys would know, like I wonder would there be higher turnover rate and more young investors getting cold feet? Also, they have more options internationally. So you have now much more of a global middle class where – Someone earning a hundred grand a year can just move not just to London but to anywhere. And now, like Asia is livable, you might even take a pay cut to live in Thailand. Whereas in the past, it would always be some expat that's earning way, way more. So, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do wonder about that. That thing, everything speeding up. Obviously, in real estate, there's massive transaction costs, so you have to be very careful before, like. You try and you can't do it like uh, the stock market. No, you can't. But the problem is that people, I, you know, I've my observation. Once again, I'm curious on this, and that's why I asked you. And you've got some similar thoughts to what I've got, which is the speeding up of our world, the the increase in access to information, and the and the reactivity of us. 
um, with that sort of news cycle as well, and also the access to information, particularly through social media um, and and different news sources as well, or information sources. Um, yeah, so it it is it's a little bit of a concern because property is it. it remains a long game because of those in and out costs and because of you know the risks associated with it etc 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 so it as a as a asset it hasn't changed but we as consumers of that asset are changing and we're behaving differently and so this is just something that I so I guess I've got in the back of my mind I think I have to do a PhD on this or something and go back to uni and learn how to research yeah, so a few things in the in favour of real estate as an asset class is obviously we need migrants structurally to uh, grow the economy. Uh, we're taking in ever more. Uh, we're not building enough to um, house them. So you've got a demand supply imbalance. Uh, you've got trillions of dollars of superannuation that hasn't been used for um, real estate yet. Uh, you've got demonstrated. Um, ability for the government to step in and provide job keepers and mortgage holidays to and so there's there's and obviously it would be rather bad to lose a the property market you probably subsequently lose an election so there there's definitely and Australia is obviously a desirable place so this is none of this is new original thinking here i guess but uh yeah so uh, yeah, maybe the counter argument may be like maybe people won't even care. They'll just have their um, headsets on, the, the, the new Apple headsets, and they'll have vast um, uh, vast farms, vast vast ranches. And similarly, I mean, so I guess an analog for that would be that kids these days, you know, they stay with their parents way longer than we did in the 90s. And I think the big change, looking at the social research, is that uh, – the big change was around the incident of the smartphone. Kids started behaving very differently. So to a degree, they're already kind of in their own world and they're prepared to stay with mum and dad longer. So maybe that's an argument that there'll be more densities. But again, this could just be an argument for more dense cores and less suburbia. I don't know. Yeah. All right. We got to that point in the episode where you need to ask you if you got a property dumbo for us. Do you have an example of a mistake that somebody's made, perhaps yourself? Um, that we can all learn from. I learned this one. I heard this from a buyer's agent yesterday. Uh, so it's not exactly mine, but I thought it was really good. So uh, they were saying that, yeah, so they were really had these high expectations for a house with a pool and, and such. Um, and it was, uh, you know, at, a, at the higher price for the suburb. And, uh, but they were saying, look, I won't pay that. It's, it's not the median price. Yeah. So as if as if the median price was a recommended retail price for the suburb or something. Yeah, that's good. So hanging out for that, not understanding that that's actually the the, the bell curve and that's the, that's the margin. <laughs> that's gold. <laughs> so people, be that a warning against a buyer's agent that suggests you should only pay the median. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.